Welcome to the Underhand Free Throw. It's a basketball podcast with Ian and Simon. I'm Ian. And I'm Simon. And we're having a special edition of uh, Underhand Free Throw After Dark on the Ian side of things, at least. Yeah, I'm, I'm shrouded in darkness right now. Yeah, so uh, this week we are back from break. I'm, I'm assuming pretty much everyone who's in, in school, much like we are right now, is heading back into the semester and um, hopefully had a great holiday break, but we're ready to dive back into some NBA basketball as, you know, all-star talk starts heating up, trade talk starts heating up with the deadline. What is it? A little bit over a month away at this point. Um, Yeah. The main focus of this podcast is going to be rookies. Uh, We want to just take a temperature check with the NBA's rookies, look into some of the guys who are doing well and then, Ultimately, at the end, we're going to do our five favorite rookies for this season and talk about why that is. Yeah, are we going to do are we going to do favorites or are we going to do best? And you mentioned something about top five, and I was just like, how do I measure rookies for for top five? Like, you know, which one has the highest points per game? I guess people can just look that up for themselves. So, yeah, I, de- I definitely also more leaned into favorite rookies or kind of still almost approaching them from like a a prospect perspective like which rookies do I think are going to be the best NBA players or the players that I'm going to like the most because not you know the best rookies the best rookies do not always end up the best NBA players or the guys averaging over 15 points per game over a few months of one NBA season does not 100% of the time correlate to a hall of fame career so well you mean Michael Carter Williams wasn't the best rookie in the 2016 draft class I mean he wasn't the best rookie of all time. I'll 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 leave it at that. But I like I didn't yeah. ex- expect quite as big a fall from Michael Carter Williams as uh, as as happened. Like I agreed with the general idea of of um of why he was successful as a rookie and when what was not going to translate. But I didn't see him kind of basically falling out of the NBA. Is he on an, is he on an NBA roster this year? He was last year, but no. I mean, he was with, yeah. He was with the Orlando Magic. He's been with them last couple of seasons. I think one season they signed him like halfway through the season, um, and he was okay with them. But you know, not not uh, just kind of like a decent end of the bench role player, an option where if you have guys hurt and just need extra ben- bench depth, he's decent as a fill in. But you know, not really a NBA player you're excited about at this point. Yeah, a big guard. He got big minutes for Orlando last year. Um... I mean, I think when things like that happen, it almost wonders, you know, it inspires the experimental part of my mind is like, what happens if you took random role player X and made them the focal point of an NBA team? Um, You know, maybe we can do that a little bit with with some of those rookies today, or at least imagine them in their best situations. But most NBA players, we do not get, they don't get their Michael Carter Williams moment or the you know the sort of like Jeremy Lin style moment where all of a sudden out of nowhere the keys to an NBA franchise are handed to you and the strengths and weaknesses of your game will define your team for some stretch of time and you know Michael Carter Williams got got to have that and no one can no one can ever take that away from him and no one can ever uh, take away his rookie of the year trophy in 2014. Well I mean it helps if you play for a franchise with like the Orlando Magic where their starting backcourt is you know, been injured a lot over the past couple of years. Yeah. So there's plenty of playing time. The Michael plenty Carter Williams available. in the Carter at MCW in Orlando last year, just like they've got this really funny theme. It's like, yeah, we want big guards that can't shoot at all. That's our that's our whole thing. Um anyway, it's better times in Orlando this year. Before we dive into our top five lists, um, 
we wanted to go over a couple of honorable mentions and you know rookies that didn't quite make the list but we like uh they've been playing well and um yeah I'll, I'll let you take the floor here what rookies didn't quite make your top five but you really like and and why i wanted to actually talk a little bit about christian brown pronounced brown oh. apparently not brawn I, I i learned that for the first time this week um just because with the exception of maybe one other player, Christian Brown might be one of the most important rookies in terms of the title this year because he's yeah. playing a crucial role on a team with major title aspirations. They like they're really trying to figure out their defense and they've been finding answers lately. With Brown, um he's not someone he's not a rookie that I was high on or expected much from, but sometimes you just fall in a situation where it's and like with him he's just He's a large enough, athletic enough body who's good enough at basketball where he's plugging a hole in their roster. Um, mm -hmm. And he's he's been closing games for them occasionally. Like he's he's a very important piece there. And I think that could be sustainable. You, I mean, obviously, maybe we see Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Their games take off a little bit more and the and the rotation shrinks and, and Christian Brown's not in the playoff rotation this year. But But looking at it right now, he seems like, Oh, this guy could sneaky be crucial for a contender, even if he's not that um, good yet. You know, like we're talking like he's he's playing uh, 14 minutes a game. He's not like um, he's not he's only a, a good shooter, not a great shooter. He's like he's playing a tiny little role for them. But when he's out there, all of a sudden Denver lineups just kind of like make a little bit more sense. Also, before we get to into rookies, I just want to as, as we were going over as we both studied up a little bit in preparations for this episode, like I just want to remind everyone like rookies are not good. Like, I, like they're, they're, they're very exciting, yeah, but just there's so much you have to clean up in your game in the NBA. There's, there's things you have to get good at and there's things you have to stop doing. And, and as I'm going over footage and stats, I'm just like, man, there's just so much junk, even with the very best rookies this year, just like, oh my gosh, like you take so many pull-ups and you miss them all. And you like, and you turn the ball over and you're really bad at defense. And like, so when I look at someone like Christian, Christian Brown, I'm more like, oh, you're basically helpful on a, on a contender. That's like, uh, that, 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 that goes a long way for a rookie in my mind. Yeah, I mean, Christian Brown's a decent on-ball defender. Um, I, he's 6'7 and has some length and has just enough quickness to stay in front of people. And I think on a team like the Nuggets, who are just starved for any form of perimeter defense, he does fill a role. Um, he has been playing more lately, and yeah, part of that is due to injury. Um, but I think a lot, a large part of that is also just because like he holds up well defensively. Um, or at least good enough for Michael Malone to play him. Yeah. And even though he hasn't necessarily shown like an awesome uh, jump shot or super reliable jump shot in the NBA yet, he was a pretty great shooter in college, and which is, I think, a yeah. large part of why he went, went in the first round of the draft. I was pretty surprised when he did, but um, like more and more lately, we're seeing these older rookies, you know, these juniors and seniors in college, especially the 3 and D wing type guys who come into the NBA and, you know, aren't amazing, aren't like blowing you away or anything, but they're, they're good enough uh, to see some minutes and eventually develop into like, okay, rotation players. And I think Christian Brown likely is going to be one of those guys. I love seeing a, like a college scorer come into the NBA and just immediately embrace scrappy hustle guy role, especially when you know that he can do a little bit more. I just think it, it bodes so well to see, 
a player come in and establish this basement where they're just like, I can play in an NBA rotation because of like, you know, my, my, my size and skills and I'm willing to do whatever it takes defensively and from an energy perspective to establish myself as an NBA player. Because then if they can establish that basement for themselves, anything else just becomes a bonus. So if he eventually does show more of sort of like the pull-up shooting ability he showed at Kansas, right? He's a Kansas guy. Yeah. Like that's just going to be icing on the cake later. I was not big on Brown at all in the pre-draft process. I'm looking at my big board from last year. I had him at 38. Like he's on, he was on my board, but uh, not someone that I was particularly interested in, but, um, but I'm sold now. So yeah. honorable mention out to Christian Brown, who you got. Well, just a quick uh, aside, we'll get into this more when we do our, like, talk about drafts later on in the season, which I think both me and you love to kind of nerd out on. So might mm-hmm. be a four-hour podcast. We'll see. <laughs> um, but guys like Christian Brown are making me kind of rethink things a little bit. Um, just when it comes, older college players, but specifically when it comes to, like, wings who are solid defensively. Yeah. Um, like, I haven't really seen uh, Christian Brown's former teammate, J- Jalen Wilson, on many mock drafts mm. going in the first round but i think that's absolutely like a guy in the end cup upcoming draft who's at least going to be like mid to late first round pick just because he's six eight and long and can shoot you know and and we're starting to see more and more nba teams are going to draft those guys in the first round if they're you know anywhere close to an nba talent so yeah and i um, think the nba is has like been moving in that direction for a while right like we see there's less sort of random guards and centers in the in the lottery in the mid first round every year and you see a lot yeah. of the guys that are like wings with interesting skills but huge holes in their game have kind of moved in and, and and taken up a lot of that real estate so or wings who just like have a solid but unspectacular game in the yeah. past they wouldn't have been first round picks but now they're going 19th 21st overall so yeah okay uh one guy i have um I have five honorable mentions, so we'll start with start from the bottom and go up. Um, my number, like last place guy, was Tari Eason. Um, I, I like Tari Eason, and I had a really hard time kind of articulating why I like Tari Eason. Uh, but I think my favorite part about him is every time I watch him play, it just when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, it just feels like he moves around the court really well. Yeah, um, and he just is very active you know just a very active player he just gets into a lot of situations where he's um you know either bothering the player he's defending quite a bit or he's like getting his hands on on loose balls or errant passes um he just seems to like make a lot of a lot of a big chaotic defensive impacts uh, on the game his offensive game is really weird it's a lot of almost like out of control car crash drives to the rim where he just kind of like barely gets there and then you know tries to contort his body to get some shot off uh where like the angle is pretty weird and it doesn't really have a chance of going in but maybe it gets fouled but it's a very strange game he's very strange player but um i do like his defensive upside he's he's huge he still looks huge he looks huge in college and he still looks very big in the nba um he's got really fast hands He's got a really crazy motor. He's, he, I mean, a, a guy that we're going to talk about later is Jeremy Sohan. And, and Tari Eason is kind of Jeremy Sohan. If you took away all of his passing ability and turned that into sort of just yeah. like a- average shooting ability, like like it's kind of yeah. a, a little trade-off you make. But like, yeah, big, hyper, high motor player. I was really high on him. in the. Like I had him at eight. I had him above Jeremy Sohan and a lot of other heralded guys. Just like, he was just a, this big wing who had pretty interesting like slashing skills and wasn't a joke shooter. I was like, how is this guy not going to be a good NBA player? Uh, he's even more chaotic looking than I, than I thought he would be. But um, yeah, I'm still very 
high on Tari Eason. And I mean, he's one of like, he's, I, I might even like him a little bit better than another rookie that, that didn't, um, uh, make my top five that plays in Houston. Um, but he, there's a, like, there's so much to not like about Tari Eason still. Like he's really far away from yeah. being like a overall kind of like productive NBA player. But I mean, he's averaging a steal a game in, in just, uh, in just under, in under 20 minutes. Like that, that translates to like, that's like three steals per hundred possessions. That's, that's pretty massive. So he's already shown that he's like one of the more disruptive defensive bodies in the NBA. Um, and I think he's got a lot of yeah. offensive upside still. So yeah, high on Tari Eason. Did not make my top five, but, yeah, but his, I like him. His handle is just his handle is so loosey goosey at the moment. Yeah. Like if he tightens that up, I agree he could be a decent offensive player. Right now, the the skill development just just needs you know, e- even Jeremy Sohan is just like so far ahead of Tari Eason in terms of just like being able to dribble and make basic passes you know oh he only kind of understands that passing exists like i'm sure he's been told yeah. <laughs> by other people but it's not it's not it's not internalized knowledge yet it's still something that his coaches are probably yeah. like don't forget the passing exists while he's out there and he was like that in college too just like a basic non-entity as a passer well, and that's kind of H- like it's houston so are they really telling their players that i don't know <laughs> well i mean they've got other players on their team that do pass the ball they just don't pass it to targets that catch it and like there's a lot of it's just um like you know i I think kevin porter jr certainly throws a whole lot of passes just a lot of them are out of bounds or off people's knees or um and alperin shangun a little bit a little bit is like that you know he he will attempt some of the most audacious passes uh in the nba this year and um they're not always effective but i think Alper and Sengun is going to be is, is a very good passer and is going to be an effective nba passer just in that environment right now it's it's definitely part of the chaos jalen yep. green might not know what passing any more than tari eason is and and jabari smith might be an even worse passer than anyone we've mentioned so far so it's pretty funny when you're building a young team and you're like oops we forgot about one whole part of basketball while we did this build hopefully we can address that moving forward like the magic having no guards that can shoot the um the uh the houston rockets have no one outside of alper and shangun who can pass well dacian next will throw a pass it's just oh yeah there's another one (laughs) two seconds left in the shot clock to do it and the pass will be to someone standing six feet behind the three-point line who wasn't expecting the ball to throw it come his way so yeah anyway he's he's not a rookie anymore but um no if he was a rookie he would not be making an honorable mention on this that is not a they play him a lot more than i would expect them to and i don't know why when i watch tank commander yeah yeah uh, great at that that role yeah who's your next who's your next rookie that you liked but didn't quite make the cut i mean i've got so many rookies that didn't make the cut because i just kind of picked my favorite guy i I don't want to give away like i'm I'm leaving off one rookie that i'm sure is in everyone's top three did not make my top five but i'm gonna go i think um, i know who it is interesting have i talked about them before i'm going to talk about well i'll talk about a player that i really do like that didn't quite make my top five which is walker kessler I think he's already perfect at his role. Like he's not like he, mm-hmm. just in terms of like the 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 five things that Utah lets him do. Uh, he's he's really good at them. He's um, he's excellent from floater range. He's he's a really strong finisher at the hoop. He is um, one of the best rim protectors in the NBA. Um, it's between him and one other player for who's the best 
defensive player in this class. Um, we'll talk about the other guys soon because they did make my top five. Um, yep. ja- the Jazz just want to play offense. Like that's their their team is built to just be this offensive fun fest of Jordan Clarkson with Kelly Olynyk and and Lowry Markkinen, just like you know, just having the times of their lives. But whenever Walker Kessler's out there, they're a strong defensive team. It's this funny situation that utah has we're just like whoops we're a strong defensive team because we let the big guy out there um his feet are better than i expected like i remember watching him in college and being like sometimes with those with those behemoths like oh you look actually pretty nimble for a huge guy in college but you might get to the nba yeah. and that's just gonna like all of a sudden you're boban marjanovic like he looked nimble he still looks like nimble or he did when he was younger his footwork is just really smart like i actually remember one of the i remember watching that that monstrous Embiid game early in the season when Embiid went off for like, you know, like 59 points and whatever that crazy yeah. early Embiid season game was. And, and, you know, he was doing it on Kelly Olenek and Lowry Markin and then, um, and Walker Kessler came in and, and Embiid, he didn't stop Embiid. Embiid still just was scoring over him the whole time. But it was like, I was watching Walker Kessler's feet. I'm just like, Oh, your defense is, is perfect. Like you're, you know, you like, like step for step, your, your, your footwork is you're getting like, if there was a, if it was, this was like dance, dance revolution guard Embiid edition, like Walker Kessler scored a, a, you know, perfect score. And I mean, Embiid scored anyways, but it was, oh, you've, you're going to be a dominant backline defender. My only question with him is like, how many minutes is going to be ideal for Walker Kessler on a, on a good NBA team? Like, what does he have to do that? He's like a, a starting level player or a guy that you want to play more than uh, 20 minutes a game. And I think that's still a big question mark and has to do with whether he can become a passer and whether he, whether he can learn to shoot at all, or at least hurt, uh, hit his free throws at a better rate. But um, everything else is just like, wow, you're already like getting a pluses at. Yeah. I had Walker Kessler in my guys who just barely missed the cut too. Yeah. Like you said, just kind of a, a star in his role already, even though it's not the biggest role in the world, highly, highly effective player around the rim he doesn't necessarily take a lot of shots but when he does like it hardly ever misses and he has like such soft hands and you know everything around the rim he just kind of like finds ways to like flip shots in and he's like tall and has really long arms so there's not a whole lot of guys who can contest his shot even though he's not like much of a leaper you know but i do think he has really good instincts like defensively so when it comes to timing when it comes to like just ability to catch and release the ball maybe those are some indications he could grow into a passer like i, I kind of do agree he would have to add another di- component to his game to be a really good you know player you'd want to be a long-term starter but yeah even if not maybe he's just kind of like a, a low-end starter who's just super solid and isn't going to hurt you or just like one of the best backup bigs uh in the nba for a long time like either way that i think that's a that's a win for utah um you know, and and definitely a guy you want to hold on to. And also because he's a center and because he's has such a traditional game, the thing I'll say is he's probably not going to be that expensive to extend. Um, Because even the best players at this role of being just kind of like an old school big still don't get paid a whole lot. Yeah, Um, Yusuf Nurkic, Jonas Valanciunas, like those guys are affordable. Yeah, they're very reasonable. So for guys like this where they're really good in their role, but they don't have a um, like necessarily a star level impact or like crazy offensive upside or anything if it's a wing i'm a lot more hesitant about like this guy's a future long-term piece but for a guy with a role like walker kessler where you can probably pay him like 12 million a year just hold on to him in perpetuity like i think that's a great build around piece 
Yeah, the, the timing where sometimes it's about timing with those deals. Like, you know, if he has like if he's just like kind of balling out in an injury around the time of the like at the time of his contract extension. I also think that twelve million dollars is gonna go up as as the cap goes up or if the cap goes up. But yeah, yeah. I, I agree with the principle for sure. Um and you know, in terms of like like on off stats like that, he's basically one of the best he's like the arguably one of the best rookies in the class in terms of actually you know yeah. contributing to winning basketball if you just want to look at impact like he doesn't have the ceiling of some of these other players but in terms of i think because of his limited role where he's not where he's not allowed to make the same rookie mistakes like walker kessler's not taking like you know 10 pull-ups a game and on yeah. like 21 percent shooting for example and he's not turning over the ball at all like he almost like he, like i don't know how many turn he probably has like less he's got 25 turnovers on the season on the whole season mm-hmm. in, in 37 games so it's like just being a low mistake defensive player like that just goes a long way and i i honestly thought about putting walker kessler in my top five and the only reason he's not in our top five is simply because of like the likely limited offensive upside he has like we don't see him developing into an awesome three-point shooter or yeah. great playmaker or everything like he could it could happen these things do happen but it's not necessarily like super likely um yeah. so with his like likely future trajectory he's probably not going to be like an amazing player in the future yeah. and that's like the only reason he's not on our top five but if it was just performance this season he absolutely would be who you got okay who's your oh you want me to go next yeah do i who, who brought, i brought up kessler yeah it's your turn well yeah i i kind of mirrored kessler but i can get it to my next guy um taris and his teammates uh jabari smith yeah um he did make the the list of guys i like um but isn't necessarily in the top five and he wasn't going to make that list but one of the few credits that i can give to the houston coaching is uh, they changed the way that they used, they have been using Jabari Smith offensively from the start of the season. Um, earlier on in the season, they were trying some weird stuff with him. Like really early on in the season, they were just kind of trying him as kind of like a floor spacer, spot up shooter, and that wasn't working. They tried playing him as a small ball five, small ball five that that really wasn't working. <laughs> but lately, they, they've just settled into using him at the four. And instead of putting out putting him out beyond the perimeter all the time they kind of have him just like making these dives where he kind of gets to the like around the free throw line area and they just have him catch and fire his mid-range shooting this so far this year has been like kind of an elite level i think he's currently shooting 45 percent from that you know free throw line range that like 12 to 18 footer he's just been like really effective uh in that area of the floor and you know he's also been a pretty good on ball defender you know providing his defending wings uh, not so much against bigs. Uh, he does kind of get bullied and pushed around. But for a guy, like the three-point shot isn't there yet. And he was a good three-point shooter in college, but like the the NBA is greater distance and he doesn't necessarily have the quickest release. Um, so maybe those are things that are kind of holding him back a little bit, but like he's been so solid in the mid-range um, and the shooting structure just like looks so good. It, it's hard to imagine him not becoming like a great shooter and eventually extending out that range to the three-point line as well. He's one of the rare players where he's exactly what I thought he would be going from the draft till now. It's like, yeah, he's, he looks like in terms of just like, yeah, the shooting stroke looking so nice. And then there clearly being some really good defensive tools, but the rest of the game and the body being kind of all question marks. He really looks like he wants to do the right stuff in the, in the role he's playing right now. Like you said, as a sort of like pure finisher, but he's just like he's yeah. like teenage skinny right now. He looks at he actually looks a little bit skinnier than I than I thought he would as a rookie. He um 
when he does little face-up stuff, he reminds me a little bit of like a, a poor man's like rookie Chris Bosch, just in this like, oh, you came in the league and you were not quite, your body was not quite ready to be a super good NBA player, but you're, but you're really talented. So you can compensate for that in some way. But like, I mean, you do see him trying to play really physically and forcefully in the paint and in the mid range and trying to cover his space, but it's such an uphill, uh, uphill battle when you're, when you, when you, you know, weigh 190 pounds or, I mean, I'm sure he's like 215 or something like that, but really, really skinny at that height. And when, like, he was so bad to start the year, but he's not, he has been pretty good for a little bit now in terms of just like his shooting numbers. He's been pretty close to league average efficiency just over the past, like, 10 15 games where he started off like just jokes not nba level at all in terms of what he was doing offensively but you see you see all the stuff there of why people got excited about him in the draft and um it's really i think it's huge that he's already getting better over the first half of his first season in the nba so jabari smith is still someone worth being pretty excited about but i think a large part of that is just like the shift away from shooting as many threes and taking more mid-ranges which he's actually making because the three-point shot still isn't dropping, but I will say, like, rookies don't shoot 45% from yeah. mid-range. Yeah. I mean, most 10-year NBA vets can't even do that. So the fact that he can already, I think, is a really good sh- sign. And, like, most rookies, as we go on down this list, are horrific mid-range shooters. Like, that's generally the thing that, along with, you know, off-ball defense, that every rookie just sucks at. And the fact and they that take them like, too much. Not, like, But elite is... is uh, I think really promising. I I love guys who have an elite skill, even if they don't have the most well-rounded game. Totally, that's just something to build on. Yeah. Okay. Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith would be um he'd be already really good. I think in a in a video game, he's that he's that archetypal like you know a big man that you can pass to and just immediately shoot it and just knock it down pretty well. Um, If he gets released down, he's pretty effective. I'm gonna there's one there's one last player I want to talk about because I know they're not in your top five. And that's, uh, I've got a couple other guys outside the top five that I'll get into after, but this is the last one that I know is definitely not in yours. And that is Andrew Nemhard. You're not in my top five. <laughs> now, is it, is it, is it pure Gonzaga distrust of Nemhard that, um, cause like, I think you're probably aware that he is an absolute like darling to a lot of, um, NBA nerd analysts with his play uh, in Indiana. And as I was watching extra, cause I've, you know, I've maybe caught four or five Indiana games this year. I wanted to, he's one, I, he was one of the rookies I wanted to watch a bit more footage of before the podcast. So looking at some of the footage, I was like, I was pretty delighted with, with a lot of what he does out there. Yeah. Um, I will say the main thing I, you know, so we'll start with the positives. He's a very smart defender. I mean, not really a surprise, like 23-year-old rookie. I think he was just a four-year college player, not a five-year college player. He was a transfer from Florida to Gonzaga, but he didn't, I don't believe he spent all five years in college. We did have a bit of a letdown his final season at Gonzaga, where he had a very, very disappointing tournament showing. His play in large part resulted in in my favorite college team getting upset in the Sweet 16, mm-hmm. um, you know, but what what does that have to do with his NBA play, right? So... <laughs> In the NBA, he's been an awesome uh, defensive player, especially like off-ball. Um, again, not something you see from a whole lot of rookies, but he's been solid. He's just been a smart decision maker. Um, doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Uh, pretty good at, you know, making entry passes, making the right swing play, just you know, making the right decision with the ball in his hands. Hasn't been a very efficient scorer uh, since his outburst in um, in Golden State, where he kind of like famously single-handedly won the game and kind yeah. of broke NBA Twitter for a night uh, <laughs> and got really hyped up as like, I don't know, I 
I just kind of feel like people got into the wrong frame of mind thinking of him as this awesome scorer when he's not, right? Yeah. He's kind of like a low volume, low usage player who's just like solid and doesn't make mistakes. Yeah, and I don't think I, I, you know I mentioned him as a, as a darling of of NBA uh, nerddom, and I don't think any of those people who are into him see him as a scorer. Like I think he is properly understood amongst at least like people who are watching enough Indiana Pacers games. What I think is really nice about his game and why I at least thought about him in the top five is that like the way he plays is the way that Indiana plays and without him on the floor, like basically they, they, they like to keep multiple point guards out there with um, mm-hmm. Tyree Halliburton, Nemhard and um, uh, TJ McConnell and just have all these good passers out there, which allows everybody yeah. else on the roster to thrive as a finisher because they've got a lot of, just pure finishers in this team, like Buddy Heald as a movement shooter, Miles Turner as a as a spot up guy and as a as a roller, uh, Benedict Matherin as like again sort of like as pure physical um, attacker and pull up guy. Like they they really need extra passes out there to make everything that's working offensively for Indiana like starts like is this uh, symbiosis between passers and finishers and um, those players having clear roles. So one of the like the big reason they're the reason he's starting. Like that's that's the reason he's starting is because that's what Indiana's style is, is being able to yeah. have these multiple smart ball handlers who can pass and make great decisions. And he does enable Indiana to do that somewhat just because he's been, you know, so effective as a defensive player because Indiana yeah. loves running these three to four guard lineups. Well, they call them that depending on who you classify as a guard and who you classify as a wing, I guess. But yeah, you know, they like they like playing four small players and Miles Turner altogether. Yeah. And Nemhard fits into that. It makes it a little bit easier. I mean, Indiana is still pretty bad defensively, even with Nemhard and Turner. Um, yeah. The team as a whole is, is not great, but um, he helps prevent them from being a complete disaster. Yeah, that's all I have to say about uh, Nemhard. I just wanted to kind of rag on you a little bit for being a Nemhard hater. I gave up on him too, a little bit. Like, I mean, I, I watched the game that you're talking about and, you know, he's he's another Canadian guy. So I'm always, you know, national interest obligations to follow his career. But I, 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 I didn't have him on my board. Like, I didn't think he was going to be an NBA player. Or like, I thought, you know, here's a guy yeah. that maybe flirts with NBA teams that need backup point guards or third point guards. So to see him blow up as a rookie, he's also like changed his body a lot already. Like he, he still kind of looked like a child a little bit at Gonzaga. And now he's like, I can't even really, like he looks, he's, he's kind of, he's got this strange build where he's sort of like narrow shoulders. So is like, his arms are a little bit longer than his like official like wingspan would be like probably has a better standing reach than a wingspan kind of guy like and as he sort of like added enough muscle to play in the NBA it's like a strange build where I just like never understand his size like I don't know what size of yeah. players out there when I'm watching on a on a small screen yeah he's one of those dudes that kind of has like the big hips um and yeah he doesn't necessarily like move all that like incredibly well mm. for a guard at the NBA level and that's kind of probably one of the reasons I'm a bit low on him is just like I don't see a whole lot of upside with some of these rookies, I can see them like being really good borderline all-star players in three seasons. With Andrew Nimhart, I just see him being a slightly better version of Andrew Nimhart in three seasons. Yeah. Uh, right. So it's it's hard for me to rate him super highly given I don't, you know, see that trajectory with him necessarily. No, yeah. I mean, the only all I I mean, sometimes these guys surprise, but I only like I project him as basically being the same player and cleaning up his efficiency a little bit. Like just being this kind of like yeah solid ball handling guard that can that can help shore up your decision making but there's a lot of teams in the nba where their inability to like have like good to have smart 
ball handlers is is a is a big problem like when they don't have enough of those like things don't work like yeah i mentioned well, minnesota so already like that's like there's a there's a couple of these teams where it's just like your whole concept doesn't work because all your players are idiots yeah well one thing one final point i'll have on andrew nemhard is um like yeah you don't necessarily need to be young or an awesome athlete to have upside as an nba player you know guys like malcolm brogdon's the most famous example right but a couple things like with Andrew Nimhart, it's A, he doesn't have the athleticism to get by people. And B, mm-hmm. he doesn't really have a super quick shot release. Yeah. Um, he kind of has like a, a really um, unorthodox release where he brings the ball down a really long way. And then he has like this really long like scoop as he shoots it. Kind of um, like another guy like a, we're about to talk about. But it's it's just like a bit slow and awkward to get off. So if he reworked his shot mechanics and became like a 39% catch and shoot three-point shooter then yeah maybe there's some upside there but like as as the player currently is if he just gets a little bit better at the things he's already good at you know he's an okay rotation player but yeah that's about it um yeah and and to be clear i don't see star potential there but i I do see he's already helping an nba offense and i do see a darth across like i do see a demand for that type of player where he's going to come in and and be able to increase Mm -hmm. the sort of like he's going to amp up the decision making that you have on the floor in a lineup and i think that's sneaky valuable even if he doesn't really have much upside as a as a as a scorer or someone who really like threatens a defense with his shooting or anything like that well with that being said like uh would you uh prefer andrew nimhart over D'Angelo Russell right now is your starting. <laughs> I I mean yeah I mean I don't I think that like <laughs> I think if they made that trade right now even though it's clearly a sort of talent and reputation downgrade like Minnesota fans would throw a party if we added a just a, a like guy who was going to go out there and sort of organize the offense and really care about that and make sure that our bigs got the ball and that's like he Andrew Nemhart is the DeAndre, uh the D'Angelo Russell solution do you have, did you have any more players you like or should I go through my final three really quickly um I got I got well I no, I also have I also have three more I they wonder might be if the any same of them guys, are the same so well, I, I'm sure I, I, at least one of them is. I mentioned Jalen Dern. I don't have a ton to say about Jalen Dern, but I do think that yeah. like he's he's super noteworthy, incredibly strong and athletic. Um, there, there's kind of some, you know, I, I, I maybe maybe it's the Detroit jersey, but you worry a little bit about Andre Drummond syndrome with some of his strengths yeah. and weaknesses, but um, but really just jaw dropping strength and athleticism right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So I think he's definitely a good draft pick, and he's got a chance to be a really good player. He's so much more nimble than Andre Drummond was, yeah, at least. Totally. You know, especially current Andre Drummond. Yeah. Um, you could see him being a decent, like a guy who can switch onto a perimeter player and hold up defensively, whereas Andre Drummond really never was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I like him as well. He's got a really awesome second jump. And yeah, he does some jaw dropping things yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I didn't quite have him on the players I liked. I, I do like him. It's not to say I don't like Jalen Duran. Uh, yeah. Just a little bit too old school of a center's game for me uh, to get excited about yet. Although I definitely will if things develop there. Shaden Sharp, of course, I had to include him on my likes list. Uh, yeah. I love Shaden Sharp. So much of it is unrealized potential right now. Um, so who knows? I mean, this is a guy who in a few years could be one of the best rookies in this draft class or could not be. It just like really depends on how things go um such a unique athlete he just has like he's like he's just got like incredible length you know and he, he's not like a small dude maybe six five or six six but like just the 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 length of his arms and like with how 
just quick he is at like getting to the spots he wants to get to on the court. He just, it just seems he, he seems to be even like bigger than he is or occupies more space than he, than you would think he would for a guy of his size. I remember like, you know, waiting with bated breath about his measurements coming out in the draft combine because there was so much speculation about it. And a lot of people were like, maybe he's six, eight, like people were starting to just comfortably lean into it. And then it came out that he was only, he was only six, four without shoes. So it's like, Oh, okay that's that really changes the idea of the player but then he just has like he has got like a 6 11 or 7 foot wingspan where you're just like okay yeah. so he's basically 6 8 like <laughs> he's just yeah. you know he's not 6 8 with a 7 2 wingspan but he's like he's a he's a wing size player with that and you you really notice the arms now and for the guys who like take advantage of the the wingspan like Jim Sharps had like several notable tip dunks already this season oh yeah um but for the guys who are like who have like really great body control and coordination, which he absolutely does. And for the guys who are like, you know, taking full advantage of the, the reach of their, like, you know, the pinnacle of their jump shot to get their shots off, which is how he shoots, even though he has a, a bit of a slow and unconventional form, which can maybe use some cleanup, but like for guys who take advantage of their length, it it really is the the length of the arms that matters more than like the, the floor to ceiling height. Um, you know, from the yeah. their shoes to the top of their head, uh, because like they're using it well, and that's that's why guys like Eric Gordon can run the, you know, can play a wing and be an effective player, right? Even though he's not very tall, because he has the the arms and can use them. And um, I'm hoping that's the case with Shaden Sharp. But like most excited thing, obviously, is his athleticism at the moment. But um, there is there are some real skills there as well. Um, he has been a pretty decent mid range shooter. Um, and he has been pretty effective at finishing when he gets to the basket as well so far. His three-point shot is okay. The two areas where he struggled the most, I would say, are kind of like that floater range, kind of like that five to eight foot from the basket. He's really good at getting to those spots, and he loves taking these little like flip shots, um, but they haven't really been going in up to this point. And uh, off-ball defense, he's been horrific, which I think is kind of just a function of, you know, he took like effectively two years off of playing basketball before he was drafted. So I think that's a large part of it. Yeah. I mean, I still feel like he's a bit of a mystery. Like I still don't really know how to project him in the long term, despite having watched him play in the NBA. Like I, uh, he's playing, he is playing in a fairly like small, like low usage role and operating as just sort of like yeah. Yeah, an, an injection of athleticism as well as like, um as well as a shooter. And he's good at both those things, but we don't really know what else he can do or in what way he's he still feels kind of like a like a blank slate so it'll be interesting i will say he has he has the length he has the athleticism and he has the level of like intensity needed to be a really good on-ball defender he just gets lost a lot and confused a lot in defensive sets which i i have no doubt and maybe this is just like me coping but i'm pretty confident that's going to improve over time yeah uh my next guy's a little bit maybe controversial maybe not to you but i, I think a lot of people would probably have him in their top five and that is Jaden ivy not my top five okay all right no controversies on this on this podcast no no drama i like a lot of what i uh see with ivy um i'm kind of sad that we're not uh seeing him play with Cade anymore this year because he was a mm-hmm. he looked like he was gonna be kind of a real NBA player right away in this like hybrid role where he was gonna ignite their transition attack and then turn into a little bit like get to finish a little bit more next to Cade. Like, you know, like he was he was playing off him a little bit as like a cutter, he was getting more spot up looks and he wasn't having to run an offense. As a guy running the offense right now, there's like 
there are there's lots of things to like but he's also like pretty he's just a little bit sloppy like you know lots of turnovers where he's dribbling the ball off his knees the there's a little bit too much load up on the shot so when he's kind of he's who i was talking about when you were talking about nemhard's uh funky load up release um Mm. the one thing i do like he's a he's a funny guy to watch because he always looks like he's dribbling with his head down like he looks like an athletic like a giant overgrown athletic child he'll he'll he drives in the lane and he has this kind of like crouch sort of pose as he's going full speed but then he just whips a really slick interior pass to a guy that he that he did not look like he could see um so there is a nice yeah. bit of um he's unpredictable in a good way like i think like a lot of his passes surprise me when i'm watching them and i think and definitely surprise his opponents so, so when i when i think of some of his sloppiness and and part of that is an optimism that there's a lot of like easy stuff to clean up in his game. Like if those are things that he can improve on and they're like traditionally improvable skills, I think he could be a really, really good offensive player. And he's decisive. Like he attacks with, yeah. with a lot of purpose a lot of the time. Yeah, I hope so. I just I just think the jump shot needs so much work. It's been um, pretty broken from just about everywhere on the court. Um, he is he is good at getting the rim and pretty effective at finishing when he gets there. And uh I mean, he has a little bit of size as well. And and like you said, he does have like willingness to be a playmaker. So those are the like kind of upside things um, versus a guy who's just kind of like a, a small guard scorer type of player. So there is like more potential to like actually be a, a you know, effective starter and a running mate for Cade Cunningham. Yeah, it's so hard for me to get out of the mindset where I just like I see the the small guard dominant on ball score archetype and and don't kind of like have some inherent bias against that. <laughs> but like he he does have more to his game than that. I also just say like a he's not that small. No, as a lead but guard, he he, he's big. Um, as a as a shooting guard, yeah. he's, he's a little bit undersized so but if you're playing in a backcourt with Cade if that's the sort of like ongoing vision in there I don't think there's anything problematic about his size I also don't think he'll be relied on to be a lead guard um I've got thing I've got problems with him as like a as a scorer I also think the defense looks uh pretty looks mostly bad he makes some incredible plays Mm -hmm. like I watched all of his like it's not like he's a shot blocker, but I went and watched all of his blocks on the season, and he had some incredibly, just like absolutely, just really impressive thing. He also like kind of like tips the ball away from players a lot when they're when they're going up. He makes a lot of defensive plays, but um, is definitely not a good defender overall yet. And I don't, I'm not really projecting that he necessarily will be. I don't really like his side to side movement. He's like more of a a fast guy than he is a quick guy. So like when he gets ahead of steam to the rim, he's pretty unstoppable. But he doesn't necessarily. It doesn't necessarily necessarily seem like he uses the size that he does have and the athleticism that he does have to like create separation off of the dribble all that well which is it, it's a learned skill um yeah. and he's on maybe the most talent-stricken roster in the nba at the moment with kate cunningham out so he has a sucky guy. job like like being yeah. like i i think specifically being the point guard um being a rookie point guard on a team like and if they trade boyan bogdanovich like we were talking oh, about yeah, earlier in this pod, the job's getting worse like <laughs> yeah you're playing with like killian hayes who can't shoot you've got a bunch of big men that can't isaiah stewart actually is um is shooting the ball pretty well this year you got sadiq bay who has no idea what he wants to be 
um like you know sometimes plays like he's Carmelo Anthony and anyways like it's just a it's it's definitely it's a junky team to be the point guard of so and you know he's putting up he's putting up numbers and he's having a lot of like good moments he's definitely not a good NBA player yet that is helping teams win games but there's a lot to like about Jaden Ivey's rookie season even if it is yeah. not ideal ideal to be Jaden Ivey but you know people like to have the ball in their hands and attack so good for him in that regard yeah it's definitely not ideal for him to share the backcourt with Killian Hayes. Although I gotta say, shout out for Killian Hayes for continuing the the France Germany rivalry with his uh, cold <laughs> clocking of Mo Wagner. Yeah, that was that was the other night. Is he? Yeah. He's, he's suspended right now for that. He right? was like, suspended uh, a few games. I I'm not sure if he's. I'm not sure the suspension's up. I missed Sorry, the verdict on that. No, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a few games suspension. I I don't remember how many games. I don't know if it's over. Yeah, I, I gotta say that the the Detroit Pistons are not my main focus when it comes to like what's actually happening during the season. This <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, I got two more guys yeah. in the like category. Try to get through these fairly quickly. Um, number one, Keegan Murray. Um, I like Keegan Murray a lot. He hasn't been as good right away as I thought he would be entering into the season. He hasn't played as much as probably me and you both thought that he would be. He seemed like just such a, a natural fit in their either starting lineup or like backing up Harrison Barnes and, and being like their first wing off of the bench. But um, yeah, he's, he, his minutes have gradually increased over time, but um, he was, I think you mentioned he was injured earlier on in the year or had something, some sort of family issue or something. And uh, he was pretty rough kind of in that range of like early to mid November, but as the season's gone, has gone on, he has gradually improved. Um and he's gotten more and more playing time as a result. The one thing I will say, though, is some of the advanced metrics really hate Keegan Murray. And it's it's a little weird, right? Because he has size. He doesn't appear from the eye test to be a horrible defensive player or anything. Um, and he's a really good shooter. You know, the three-point shooting is good and has very natural-looking stroke. But I was kind of shocked by this. Like, he basically never gets to the rim or draws fouls, like, at all. Occasional backdoor cut, but he, he's basically just shooting threes and mid-range shots. He, he really is not putting any sort of pressure on the basket whatsoever. And maybe you don't need him to if you have um, Sabonis and Fox, but you don't necessarily want to draft a guy with a, you know, the fourth overall pick is just going to be a spot-up shooter either. Um, I, I had Keegan Murray in my top five. I had him at fourth. Yeah, I mean, you already know I was that I was very, very... I was overly high on, on Keegan Murray in the draft, so... For Keegan Murray fans, there's no way to cut that has been a pretty disappointing uh, start to the season and also one that makes you question your initial assumptions or or projections of him. Um, he's playing in a really, really low usage role in Sacramento. When you talk about him not getting, when you talk about his shot profile and stuff like that, when you watch Sacramento play, he's not really involved in the offense very much. Like, no, you know, like if you're if you're watching a team that you don't typically like watch a ton of, but there's a player you're interested in and you like hyper fixate them and you're watching like their off ball offense and you're watching their defense a lot. And with a player like I remember this with like Andrew Wiggins back in the day, like he just doesn't do anything <laughs> like I've, I, I, I would watch whole Timberwolves games where I'm just like, I'm not really sure what happened in the game because I was watching Andrew Wiggins and he just like stood in the corner and like missed a few three pointers. And um, yeah. but with uh, with Keegan Murray. And I don't really know the whole story here. There were sort of whispers, but because he kind of he started the season pretty strong, like a first first handful of games, shooting the ball really, really well, was involved in their offense a little bit more, was getting to the rim a little bit more. And then uh, he, had, he had a little back. He exited the game with a little back injury and kind of all of a sudden was just like 
was sort of put on ice. Not like he was still playing, but like all of a sudden, like his shot, his field goal attempts dropped like crazy. And he was kind of just standing in the corner doing nothing, which made me wonder if like, okay, yeah. we need to dial things back. And then there was, um, there, you know, I won't get, get into any details, not that I know anything, but there was like something going on with his family. There was like an illness. There, it was at least like a, amongst Sacramento, like the team and, and his fan base were aware, like, oh, Keegan Murray sort of going through a tough time. Um, and he hasn't really since then been kind of re like, Sacramento sort of found their identity without him and Harrison Barnes started the season really ice cold and just looking bad and he's sort of come on and and taken that role that was looking like Murray was going to maybe get a jump start on um but now he's just like very clearly like the fifth option when I watch games it's like yeah it's boring <laughs> to watch Keegan Murray when I when I go and look at the footage and look at a play-by-play I still see a lot of the things I like um I still see him being a really crafty cutter who can like kind of dip into the nooks and crannies and finish. I just don't really see him around the paint at all ever. So like those are, those are uh, brief moments. The shot comes and goes defensively. He's a little bit um, better around the basket than he is kind of out in the perimeter right now, but he still looks like basically solid at all these things. The question for me and, and why I was like high on him is like, does he kind of have a lot of that like intangible off ball game as a mover and as a physical presence in the paint? Cause if he doesn't have mm -hmm. that, he's not a, he's just not that high upside of a player. And he's probably just like, yeah, like a starting wing in the NBA, but probably a guy that is your fourth or fifth best, like fourth or fifth option kind of thing. So, I mean, it's something to like, I'm definitely, I've seen the bad possibilities of Keegan Murray now that I'm like considering more. And I know people who are low on him in the draft really thought he wasn't athletic enough or thought he wasn't like, you know, his game was 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 too simple. Um, he's also a player that I feel when he makes a, a physical play, all of a sudden he looks huge. He looks like a, like he looks like a power forward. Like he'll, he'll, he'll rise up for a short jumper or he'll like grab a rebound and just like, oh, you look, all of a sudden you just look like you were like 6'11 or something like that. And then there's other plays where he just kind of like, where he's just sort of spotting up and and all of a sudden like you look like you're six five like he's just a he's like a he's a he's a weird player and I, i'm not really i'm kind of like cooling my jets with with keegan murray projections i still see the stuff that i like about him but i can't tell how much of it's going to be in a game and i don't think right now is going to be like the time to really learn a lot about him because he's he's doing so little out there just really low usage role he does kind of have that dad bod going on um, yeah yeah he doesn't look strong a little bit well i mean he yeah or at least he doesn't leverage his strength in the right ways. Um, but he, he reminds me a little bit of Jabari Parker, just kind of like the way he's built. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> doesn't have Jabari does... Parker's crazy first step, though. No, no. But he's a little um, bit better at the other parts of basketball. Jabari was not. Yeah, I don't have anyone else on my like list because we, we already went uh, we already went over Walker Kessler earlier. So I've got last guy. I've got one guy left on my list that I'm hoping will be controversial, but he's not in my top okay. five. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to talk about eggs. Benny Benedict Matherin. Yeah, I saw this one coming. Really? Because <laughs> you just yeah. know that I've been low on him in the past. Yeah, I think that like I think he I mean, I, there's still a lot to like about his game. Mm -hmm. I think that the reason if anyone isn't uh, if any of our listeners aren't familiar is like uh, Benedict Matherin was is probably like in most people's number two spot as like the sort of runner up for rookie of the year. And there was even a moment when Paolo Bancaro got injured where people were wondering if, if Benedict Matherin could steal the rookie of the year award with some good luck and some continued good play. Um, mm -hmm. But he's not been good for a while now. That initial 
burst of like um you know all-star level play from him this season is is like very much in the rear view mirror right now i still like the game i like he's he's so forceful and physical for a player his size like he he's he's yeah. not that big but he plays a lot bigger i think he's in a good situation like i was saying about nemhard where like he's playing with a bunch of point guards all the time so he just gets to stay so aggressive and always be kind of in this crazy attack mode but he's been you know he's been getting less efficient as the season has gone on and yeah. has his has been missing three point shots for a, like a over a month now and a lot of his shots that were dropping early in the season not just from 3 but like his paint attacks he just like goes into a floater all the time like he just reminds me of like i remember like when i was like a, a kid and first starting to sort of like figure out my athleticism and i would just sort of run at the hoop and just sort of jump and like throw the ball wildly in the air and i'd have these games where the ball would go in and i'd just be like i'm a really great basketball player and then like you know a, a week later i'm playing again and i just miss every single one of these shots and i'm like what happened i thought i was a good basketball player and that's what Benedict Matherin looks like right now. He's like, he's still trying these crazy shots. They're not dropping. He He's way too automatic with the floater. I don't mean in terms of it going down, in terms of it. Like, I, I, I watched him attempt a floater from zero feet where and the and the big man hadn't rotated to help so he's on a guard there's no reason to just sort of like attack and get a layup but for whatever reason he kind of like stops and goes into his floater motion and tosses up this high arcing thing i'm like is that just a weird instinct you have so i haven't liked everything that i've, I've seen from him and i don't i'm not convinced like he's gonna get over the rookie wall and go back to the like insane 40 percent three-point shooting and rim attacks that he had from earlier i do like how yeah. aggressive he is though like and that's something that i think is a good solid foundation for his game if he can uh, refine his like finishing package a little bit which he shows signs of yeah and to your point since december 1st um 15 points a game down from earlier in the season where he's averaging you know upwards of 20 and he's down to 23 percent from three since that point so yeah. yeah he he has gone through kind of an insane uh dry streak from the three-point line and is that going to continue for the rest of his rookie season? Like, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it'll be 23%, but I think it'll it'll end up being somewhere in between his hot shooting start to begin the season. Um, yeah. And he's got a track record for that. So it would be silly to project him to not be a solid three-point shooter with how well he shot the ball in college. All right. So we've now talked about a whole bunch of rookies that we like to various degrees or you know some some more than others but um let's get into the five rookies that we think are uh the best of them the ones that are actually good this year or the ones that we believe like we talked about earlier like ones we believe are going to be the best nba players or the ones that we're going to like the most <laughs> very vague criteria here Oh, these are just the players I like the most. I'm not going right. to say why, how, <laughs> when, where. These are just like my five favorite guys this season for whatever the reason is. I've already given away one of mine, which is which is Keegan Murray. Yeah, let's talk about him. Or was he your number five? Who he was, was my number, number four. four. So um, okay. who's your number five? My number five. And I kind of want him higher now. Like I kind of actually... I'm excited to talk about him. So it makes me want to bump him up. Keegan Murray, especially because Keegan Murray's no fun right now. He's getting a little bit more fun, <laughs> but this is not the fun yeah. time to be a Keegan Murray fan. But let's talk about someone who is fun. And that is Jeremy Sohan. What do you like about Jeremy Sohan? So Jeremy Sohan, we talked about him a little bit in comparing him with, with uh, Tari Eason, but um, there's parts of his game that are like, obviously not great. The one-handed free throws are a, are a good thing. 
I'm not going to list that. They're as, going as, in. As, as they're going in. They're going in way yeah. better than they were before. So um, that rules. I will say we've 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 now exited the pink era of Jeremy Sohan or into the green era. So we need to uh, distinguish between uh, the different players that he is with different hair yeah. colors. He is like just starting off, like to talk about his defense which is mostly what he was drafted for. He's a super versatile defender. He's not like one of the best defenders in the NBA right now, but I feel like he has the chance to be in his career. When I went in one of the games against the Timberwolves, I saw him in a very brief window of time block Rudy Gobert at the rim and then pick Ant's pocket at the at the top of the floor. Um, so yeah. just like the versatility there is amazing. The motor is very strong. The intensity, the focus, he just has such a great feel for the game. You see that on offense and defense, like talking about his defense, like he's just constantly looking to be in the right place and and noticing, um, like noticing what's happening all over the floor and rotating really well and having just really great foot speed for a guy that size. Yeah. I, I love Jeremy Sohan. I'm going to save some of my thoughts on him for when he comes up in my top five. All right. You got him. Yeah. Assured, assuredly be there, but, um, Jeremy Sohan is improving rapidly. Um, and part of that is just because the Spurs are changing how they're using him offensively. But part of that, I, I just really think he's he's getting better as the season goes on. Um, yeah. So I I loved Jeremy Sohan coming into the draft before he ever set foot on an NBA court. Yeah. I loved him the first few games of the season when I first got to see him, him play. And that's that joy I have in watching Jeremy Sohan has only increased as time has gone on his minutes have been stable across the whole season but he is just he's improving as a scorer he's improving as a free throw shooter where he's gone from being like 40 percent at the beginning of the year to um uh he's he shot 60 percent the last couple months and hasn't missed a free throw he's one for one in january so (laughs) it's going really well um offensively i think there's a lot to like about like about him as well the handles are okay which means he can move around the court with the ball in his hands a little bit better than maybe i was expecting initially he's a good passer He's even been the he's been the out of bounds passer for the Spurs, like on all those plays. They usually put the ball in his hands for that. He likes to he's a great finisher um, and he likes to post up. So those things go together really well. He's really happy to just sort of be around the paint trying to cause havoc. And um, and like, yeah, he'll post up a mismatch. It's tempting to think of him as like a broken non shooter. I think especially because of the free throws and the 20 percent three point shooting. But I don't think his shot is hopeless. I don't think like. There's no chance Jeremy Sohan isn't able to play at some, no. uh, able to shoot the ball at a better level than this as his career goes on. So I sort of tried to have these guys ordered and how good I thought they were going to be. I might have Jeremy Sohan up. He might be my number three favorite rookie. Okay. Actually, he might be my number two favorite rookie because Paolo is not my favorite rookie, but he's definitely my number one in terms of just rookies we have to talk about. That's not a spoiler. Like, we, there's no, yeah. like... Like everyone, if you came to listen to us talk about Paolo Bancaro, we're making you wait towards the end because he's far and away the best. There's just a, such a gap between him and the rest of this rookie class, but we'll get to Paolo soon, I'm sure. Who's your number five? Man, you, you took most of my Sohan talking points. That's all right, though. Um, <laughs> you, you let me. I, I gave you the floor and you're like, I'm going to save them. I'm like, I guess I'll just have to give what I got on Sohan. Well, you took my uh, favorite rookie for number five, just in terms of enjoyment. I didn't necessarily have him at number one, but... uh I'm going to take your 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 probable favorite rookie that you enjoy watching at number five, and that's Jalen Williams no! of the of the OKC Thunder. I have him at five. Mm-hmm. I I love watching Jalen Williams. Maybe I should move him up. I don't know. Just a a really enjoyable player to watch. Um, he's awesome as a secondary slash tertiary playmaker for the Thunder. 
uh, really great with the ball in his hands. Just seems like a really solid decision maker. He's very um, just one of those like slithery players, you know, very solid handle, uh, can get around guys, get to the rim. Um, he does seem like more more of a dump off pass guy um, necessarily than like a try to finish through contact guy. Mm. Um, and I think part of that shows in his efficiency, like he's shooting 76% at the basket. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that is just because he doesn't take the shot unless it's a sure thing. Um, and he's another guy that the advanced metrics hate. Well, what rookies are? Well, he's kind of an outlier. He's, he's really, right. yeah, yeah. he's really down. And I think part of that is like Keegan Murray and, uh, like Shaden Sharp, um, you know, the guys who, who don't get to the free throw line for whatever reason, just, just seem to do really poorly in these advanced metrics, but um, there's anyway, lineup data too i think like and we, yeah. we we discussed this at one point about um jalen williams is that he's played in a lot of like experimental like five guard lineups like it's like the the, yeah. the the okc really oscillates more than any other team between wanting to win games and wanting to do like cool experiments like it's not a night-to-night mm-hmm. winning mandate so sometimes they're super competitive and they and they're crunching out victories over good teams and and other nights it's just like yeah, we're going to play Poku and four point guards and just see what happens kind of thing. So Jalen Williams has been part of some experimenting, which I think is going to really hurt him in terms of just, you know, like just basic on off data, which is going to impact a lot of advanced metrics if they have those baked in. They hung uh, 150 points in the Celtics (laughs) without SGA. So yeah, Shay's just getting in the way. One thing I will say though, is the OKC is so much like a one star team and then just a bunch of like, eighth men after SGA is I think maybe some of the on-off numbers not liking Jalen Williams is just because when when Jalen Williams is the playmaker for a given play that means SGA is not the playmaker from a given play yeah it's just like such a massive disparity when SGA is making things happen versus when anyone else is making things happen yeah Uh, that probably doesn't help out his case but other thing I will say like I mentioned this earlier when we uh when we talked about Jabari Smith Um, being an elite mid-range shooter and that's something you don't see from a lot of rookies it's on a super low volume but jane williams has been a really good mid-range shooter uh up to this point from pretty much everywhere um he doesn't have a weak spot it's just anywhere he's taking a shot on the court inside the three-point line he's been highly effective Uh, outside the three-point line is still a work in progress but obviously with how good his shot is everyone everywhere else that um is promising yeah he's uh he's had a a bit of a funny he's really only started to kind of um get a firm role on this thunder team you know kind of kind of in december he he came out he looked like he was gonna have a really promising start to the season but he got he got hurt in his very first game and then when he came back they were sort of mixing him in a little bit as a starter they were and, and they were using him basically as a power forward it was like him and poku were being alternated as like the starter for a while there so he didn't really have like he was playing minutes, but he didn't really have a serious role on the team. It's only been yeah. once we've been getting into the winter where he's very clearly like a, you know, a secondary ball handler when he's out there and been given a lot more responsibility. So we've really gotten to that. We've only just started to kind of see what kind of player Jalen Williams is in the NBA. And it looks awesome. He's definitely my favorite yeah. rookie. After Paolo, I'm probably the highest about his um, potential. Right now, it's hard. Um, we're we're not counting Chet, obviously, because Chet's not going to be a rookie in this class, despite yeah, being in the draft he's class. He's omitted, omitted yeah. from all these lists, unfortunately. He's been a he's been a monster finisher at the rim. He's he's been able to counter into his mid range game. 
Um, the shot hasn't, the outside shot hasn't been a super consistent. He's been like a plus defender, despite the fact they put him in lots of miserable defensive situations. There's like, yeah, you're just going to guard the power forward this whole time. I think he's really leapfrogged Josh Giddy as the sort of second best prospect on this roster. And basically just like sign me up for Shea and Jalen forever. I'm really excited about watching these two big guards, just kind of like with a ton of creativity and a ton of ability to like bully defenses. Shea more with his like first step and slitheriness. And, and Jalen Moore with this sort of like he's a really strong ball handler who can who can move people around really dangerous passer on the baseline. Um, he reminds me a little bit of how I used to feel about James Harden when James Harden was in OKC. I just like I feel like I'm watching this like big, sneaky, athletic, imposing, creative basketball player. Yeah, I mean, I don't have him as the like best guard for future outlook like you mm. do um but i do really like jalen williams i just think that we have a couple of really good guards in this draft class um projecting forward so i guess uh that's it's time for your number four i mean i think we've already gotten three of my five of so we should probably <laughs> i keegan murray at four i sohan five murray four so we're up to three so who do, who do you have for my number four uh um, yeah my number four i have benedict matherin um, mm-hmm. I did this. I did ultimately, we knew it was going to be in my top five uh, when we talked about the players that we liked, but didn't quite make the cut. But um, Ben McMathrin for me, um, obviously started out the season very strong, uh, shot around 40% from three for the first couple of weeks. And things have really tailed off since um, the month of December hit. And he's cratered a lot with a, a lot of his shot making. But there's a couple of things I, I really like for Ben McMathrin's future outlook. So you know, obviously you can look at him and say like, uh, you know, very, very willing shot taker. The efficiency is quite poor. Um, you know, the willingness to make plays for others isn't quite there yet, but I want to look at the positives here. And there's two things that I like about Benedict Matherin, um, very strong physical presence as a guard. He's, you know, if you're going to play him at the three, which the Pacers have been doing, like he's, he's doesn't quite have the size and length that you'd quite want, but he does, absolutely have the you know the physicality and the aggression um to hold up on that end and the numbers so far show that he's been a you know kind of just like an average defender he doesn't help you he doesn't hurt you um he's just kind of so so defensively and i'm going to take that as a win for a like young rookie you know guard whose primary role is is scoring um and the other thing i will say the main reason why I have him slightly over Jalen Williams in terms of future outlook, even though, you know, I will, I'll totally take the points that um, he's not the same level of playmaker in stride. Um, the shots haven't been going in, but he has been able to get shots off uh, pretty much whenever he wants. Like he has been a really effective shot creator. And normally you say that about guys who like can create the shots and they go in. And for him, he's creating the shots and they haven't been going in. Um, but his ability to like pull up and shoot over people, um, his ability to get to the rim, even though, like you mentioned earlier, he's way too willing to settle for a floater instead of like really trying to um, like draw contact and, and attack the basket itself isn't great. Um, but I just think like efficiency is the worst it's ever going to be as a rookie, uh, especially for a rookie in the latter half of the season as he kind of starts to hit that wall and defenses start to figure out how to play him. And if the efficiency goes up, he's just going to be like a guaranteed 22 to 25 point per game scorer. You know, and I just like really like that future outlook. 
personally for a guy who doesn't need plays made for him, who can just kind of create offense for himself, um, provided he can get to a point where he's doing that at an efficient rate. Yeah. I just don't believe that he can create offense for himself. I think that we're getting the impression of that in Indiana, but when I watch Indiana games, like I think I look at the point guards out there really being in control of that. And I look at Matherin and his aggressiveness as being like the prime beneficiary of that. And if he wasn't aggressive, he wouldn't be benefiting from it. You know, like he'd still get some catch and shoot looks, but he wouldn't be getting all this offense at the basket. So again, like I, I give him credit for that, but I don't see like a promising off the dribble attacking game against said defenses that everyone was imagining in the, in the first couple of weeks of the season when he was just on fire and hitting everything. Like I'm a little bit more concerned that it's an aberration, but I do think the three point shooting is going to come back. I just don't really know. I still just, it's funny. We're talking with Jalen Williams. Williams, Benedict Mather, and I've got my old draft board up here, and I had them right next to each other. I had Jalen Williams at 13 and Benedict Mathurin down at 14. So you already know it because he was really high on most people's draft boards, was kind of a, a draft yeah. darling for a long time. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I feel like I'm not seeing the same things as lots of people are there. But you know, so if I'm wrong, call me a hater. Um, yeah. And if I'm right, call me really smart. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think I, I just. I just see the potential for like, a, I don't know, a J.R. Smith type career with him. Oh, totally. Yeah. And he, I mean, yeah, really, really aggressive. And I think that outside shot making is going to come back for him as well. I, I don't really know much about his defense and it's really hard to tell in kind of similar to what we said about a lot of the OKC games. Like they play these, they play lots of multi-guard lineups. Like yeah. you, you mentioned that earlier with Indiana, it's hard to say like how it's hard to say what, where his defense is at, where sometimes it's like, I don't know, you're guarding the point guard or the power forward and this sort of, it's just kind of a, it's, it's, it's a hard environment to really get a read on his defensive potential, though he was like touted yeah. as a disruptive kind of like multi-positional defender coming out of college. So I don't have a good handle on his defense yet. I just think for me, I, I'm kind of like making a bet on like the motor and mm -hmm. uh, the work ethic driving him to be a good player even if he has to like bash his head against a brick wall to break through it to get there yeah i don't know like sometimes you just get a feeling about a guy where like this guy is going to succeed regardless of uh the fact that his game isn't like perfectly adapted to the modern nba or something like that and yeah you know, just get that feeling with mather and i feel like he's gonna he's gonna get to the point where he's in a, an effective player regardless of what he has to go through to get there he has an interesting finishing package too when he doesn't just go to that floater from from one foot out like uh, he does have he's got his ability to kind of hang in the air and contort his body and get to his left hand or his right and i've definitely seen some interesting finishes from him so lots to like about eggs benny yeah. i just realized there's one rookie that i've completely left off my list that i think i'm going to assume unless you forgot as well is probably in your top uh -oh. five bonus um, yeah someone that Who, i haven't who's your bonus pick well i just think i i mean i assume that you're going to talk about aj griffin no not in the top five but we oh so he's not even in your likes yeah, I mean, he was kind of on the borderline. I, okay, I, yeah, that's fair. We don't I like to... <laughs> AJ Griffin. Well, let's do an AJ Griffin really quick. You know, okay. bonus bonus player. Um, we didn't talk about him in our likes. I, I'm because Ian forgot, and because <laughs> I, I purposely left him off. I liked uh, past tense AJ Griffin until I took a deeper dive into it. And uh, AJ Griffin basically just shoots spot up threes and doesn't really do a whole lot else um, at this point. And until I see more, I'm just kind of like cautious on on how much I'm willing to throw into like the future outlook of a player like that. 
especially because he's like undersized and doesn't have awesome length or anything. Um, you know, the numbers kind of paint him again as kind of like a so-so defender. He's not helping you. He's not hurting you. He's just kind of there, which for Atlanta is probably a win. Um, <laughs> you know, like about half of his shots come from three-point range. And of those, about 90% of them are assisted. So like, what is he doing other than catching and firing? And he can do that well, but I just need more from a guy uh, than like, you know, just shooting threes because every guard and wing in the NBA can shoot threes, maybe not quite to the level of AJ Griffin, but almost all of those players are giving you something else as well. And up to right now, AJ Griffin isn't. I mean, watching AJ Griffin at Duke, it was the the only difference from what you're saying is that Duke let him, you know, dribble the ball and pivot 20 times before he took those three point shots. Like he had basically no scoring game inside the arc. He looked like he looked his legs looked shot after his injury. um, And it was just like he was still this big, strong body that with really incredible shooting touch, like some of the shots that he hit in college and now in the NBA are like really impressive. Like that's a that's a big skill to have but I think people look at him and they're like oh he's 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 hitting all these threes and and he's like got this he looks like an athletic wing I'm just like yeah but you see him play he's not an athletic wing like he's like you know he he is just a until I see otherwise he is just a a spot-up shooter um I mean he can he can shoot off the dribble as well but I mean I just don't think he's threatening with dribble in any other way I've I've been low on AJ Griffin for a long time I haven't seen anything in the NBA to change my mind on him yet though again like he's another defender though I haven't like seen enough footage to know because I thought he was going to be a like a damagingly bad defender in the NBA and I haven't heard anyone call him that and haven't you know I it's really hard with like I don't know enough about a guy's defense until they've been unless they're a team that I watch like every game of or until they've been in the NBA for three years and unless you really pop early like a guy that I want to maybe talk about next um, always teasing who I'm talking about next always want to be letting the people back at home guess who I'm about to talk about after I talk about who we're currently talking about AJ Griffin might or might not be a a good or bad defender I don't really know yet I won't hate on him here but I expected him to be a bad one yeah, I mean, he might be a 39, 40, 41% three-point shooter. I just personally would rather have a guy who's a 36% three-point shooter and and has some stuff off of the dribble and can be a switchable defender as well if I'm building a team. Like, that's like a Keegan just, Murray. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> okay, should I t- go into my number three? We kind of already spoiled yeah. yours, but... Um, nope, my hey, number, number three, three is not not come up yet we spoiled my number two my number four my number five number three is the only thing that is precious to me left (laughs) okay let's go for it what do you who do you got dyson daniels dyson daniels is my yeah number three like in terms of projecting for this uh rookie class and um the player i'm the most excited about his defense is just is, is ridiculous like he's one of like the same way that people were talking about herb jones last year is how I feel about Dyson Jan- Dyson Daniels this year in terms of just he plays defense like it kind of a few years ago they released I mean this is probably like seven years ago now but they released this like when they started coming out with tra- tracking data for the first time and they showed a little bit of the NBA visualization you can watch uh, how close a player sticks to their assignment and stuff or based on like what the best possible defensive projection is and I remember people talking about like Kawhi Leonard scores the highest on these things and watching Dyson Daniels it reminds me of that like he's just such a like robotic just kind of like shadow that just moves all over the court and every single step is perfect and he's quick he always stays in front of the defender he makes great defensive decisions he's a good help defender he's just smothering guys they've been putting him out there in crunch time to guard the best player on the other team and this is a team that has 
Herb Jones on it. Like, um, like he's he's getting the assignment over Herb Jones in crunch time. And offensively, he's not he hasn't popped off yet, and he's only just started getting minutes. But um, I'm quite I'm very wowed every time I watch Dyson Daniels. Well, I might disagree with you there. I mean, I don't think he's popped off in terms of point production yet. Um, hmm. No, I'm saying he hasn't... he hasn't popped up offensively at all yet. Yeah, right. I, his career high is like 14 points or something, right? He yeah. hasn't had like a 30 point game yet. Um, yeah, I mean, my number three is also Dyson Daniels. Um, I guess he's your number two guard you're most excited about. Uh, he's number one for me. And to me, he's just like the most obvious future high level starting guard in this draft class. Um, yeah, just like complete no brainer. Um, you feel that way about Jalen Williams as well. I'm about 90% of the way there with Jalen Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, Dyson Daniels, I'm, you know, 100% of the way there. Like, this is so clearly the future point guard of the Pelicans as as CJ McCollum ages um, and maybe fades into a, a bit of a different, you know, different phase of his career, different role. Yeah, the only thing I'll I'll say is I to me, like I gotta see that elite skill. Dyson Daniels has that. I will say not so much with his defense, it's it's more his playmaking that's been the most impressive to me. When he makes a pass, it is so decisive and it's so just like on the money, you know. Um, he's had a couple plays. I have, I have not watched a ton of Dyson Daniels play, but the little bit I have seen, you know, he just, he just has such great control of the, of the game already as a rookie. And I've been really surprised because a year ago at this time, I don't know how this came out, but like in some of our like early mock drafts, Dyson Daniels was listed as like six, three or six, four. um, Right. Yeah. You know, so we saw a little bit of him play, uh, in the G league and it was like a good player, but I don't know, like he's small, but you know, I don't know if he had a growth spurt. I don't know if his measurements were just way off, but apparently he's like six, seven or six, eight. Um, and he looks it on the court. He's very tall, although very lanky. And um, that long neck too, that, you know, may, maybe makes yeah, him he does. appear a little bit bigger than he plays. Yeah, it might, but he he does legitimately have some size. Like he is taller yeah, than, definitely. than most other point guards. Um, but I mean, he's listed at yeah, six, great. eight. So he's like, yeah. he better be tall than other point guards. Yeah. Just Awesome defensive instincts, really, really smart, heady player. Um, he can shoot. He, he does have a bit of a slower mechanical release, but he's so tall. Um, maybe he can get that thing off anyway, you know? So yeah, I'm super high on Dyson Daniels. I just think obvious future point guard for the Pelicans, like yeah, outside of injury or something terrible happening, like this is their future here so yeah we, we don't really Love get it. to see it's, it's harder to like project what his skills are like we don't see him you know doing he doesn't have a huge role out there on offense for the pelicans right no, now yeah they're playing it like they're starting they're playing him more and more minutes because they just kind of have to because he's so good but like we haven't we, we've barely seen it you know he's like uh was barely playing earlier in the year and and even now he's he's still sort of like he's he's playing on a really deep team but like i mean the decision making is just so strong like it just feels like I just it's it's so weird to trust a rookie so much on offense and defense. Just sort of like I know that you're gonna do the right thing and you're gonna make the decision really fast and very effortlessly. Like he's got a bit of that like creepy Tim Duncan robot like fundamental <laughs> sort of like style of play where it's just like well yeah. I I don't need to think about this. Of course I'm going to pass the ball there because that is what will most benefit. Like it's it's just such a like automatic kind of almost relaxed stone cold style of play that he has and um and yeah i've just seen him like stonewall really good players in crunch time it's like Tyson daniels i mean he projected to be a really good defender and passer but and he's not he's not disappointing in that regard at all yeah imagine a backcourt of him and herb jones like how are you gonna score on that 
so oh, much. Pe- the Pelicans are so fun. If, if it's going to be like him and Herb Jones and, and Ingram and Zion and, and, you know, Trey Murphy's been popping off this year and he's another like super tall, yeah. quick footed kind of like um, Najee Marshall has been like, you know, look, looking like a rotation player in there. Like the Pelicans are uh, very fun right now. And and yeah, Dyson Daniels is somehow the best defender on a team that has Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado. He's drawing the perimeter assignments on that one. So that's that's crazy. And that's why he's uh, both our number threes, apparently. He came really, really close to being my number two, but didn't didn't quite make it there. Who is your number two? Well, I mean, you already used up most of the most of the takes on him. And I, oh, I right. wanted yeah. to put him <laughs> I wanted to put Jeremy Sohan number one, but uh chickened out a little bit at the end well i'm gonna i'm gonna I'll, I'll i'll try to tease some extra takes out of you what is the like what do you picture what's your dream fully realized jeremy sohan jeremy sohan is an all-star player four years from now what does that look like yeah i mean i think he's hopefully draymond green with a jump shot yeah. offensively <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good <laughs> i i paused for a second there for effect um I mean, obviously a very different player than Draymond defensively, um, but kind of has a little bit of a similar offensive game, you know, to, to Draymond. I think I, I can, I can see that comparison a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's been working on his jump shot. It's been steadily improving. I think he was below 20% to start the year. Now he's inching closer and closer to 30 um, over the past couple of weeks has a very fundamentally sound looking jump shot. Um, yeah. It looks fine. Such, whenever I watch the footage yeah. of it, it just hasn't been he has such, very much has such great touch around the basket. I, I don't doubt that he'll get there. Um, and I don't see him ever being a high volume scorer, but the Spurs have unleashed, maybe not point Sohan, secondary ball handler Sohan a decent bit lately. And they've had him make these dives to the rim where he kind of just catches a ball and then he's free to either like pass it or try to finish at the rim. And either one that he's decided to do, it, it, like has led to good results, you know? Like he's he's a good dump off passer. And uh, he's pretty good at finishing the rim as well. If he doesn't feel enough resistance in him getting there. And, you know, I think the, the length really helps him out around the basket. Uh, he is an excellent offensive rebounder with a lot of energy. There's not a whole lot to not like about Sohan other than like his ability to score. I, I yeah. think is kind of like the only main thing that you could point to. You know, maybe like another comparison is like Andre Kirilenko with more offense. Oh, um, he's he's kind of got Andre Kirilenko's game defensively already. Well, um, I, except for the like Andre Kirilenko, you know, might have had like a seven foot six wingspan and was like, you know, could, well, yeah. could kind of like. I don't. I don't think Jeremy Sohan's quite there as a as a rim protector like Kirilenko is. Like no, but he do, he has a similar kind of defensive versatility and and yeah, like meant... mixed with passing and sort of like finishing ability yeah. without the necessarily the sort of overall scoring tools. Yeah, I meant more so just like the Swiss Army knife ability. Yes, yeah. like yeah. power forward with like unnatural quickness for his size who can guard one through four effectively you know yeah i think of like sean marion but he's a he's a better ball handler um than sean marion is maybe and not, not quite that athletic either but um no but he's like he's surprised like every time sohan dunks it or or comes up with a big block i'm always surprised at his sort of like his max vertical like he doesn't yeah he doesn't look like uh he doesn't look like a big league like he's sort of like a thicker dude I always kind of picture, he seems like he's going to be ground bound. And then all of a sudden, like, like I mentioned, he uh, is blocking Rudy Gobert at the rim and like Rudy Gobert caught it high and brought it up 
like above his head and Rudy Gobert is, is seven foot two and Sohan just managed to get like four fingers on that ball right at the rim and I was just like oh okay like I knew you were athletic but that was um he kind of like yeah. you know like it's almost like Aaron Gordon's kind of like that a little bit too like he sort of he spends a lot of his game on the ground and then all of a sudden just like when he explodes he explodes and he's dunking over dragon mascots and uh or dunking over um uh Landry Shamit in overtime <laughs> Yeah, so hands a lot more, I would say, he's not the slightest dude in the world, but he's definitely more spindly than Aaron Gordon is. I think um, he'll get there, though. I think he's got the, like, the build to put yeah. on some muscle. I can well, see I, mean, that. I think it, is, it just depends on on how he wants, or how the Spurs want him to develop. Like, do they want him to fill out more and, and be more of, like, a 4.5 small ball five in some lineups, or do they yeah. want him to be more of a wing? Um, yeah. And to tell you the truth, like, this dude's so versatile. Like, you can kind of see it going either way and, and working out. Or yeah. maybe I'm just too high on Sohan. I don't know. No, I mean, I think it's I think it's one of the things where it's like uh, it really depends on the other players that the Spurs add. I think he's going to be this sort of like fill in the gaps guy, and he's uh, he also like I like you know he, he's he's six foot nine, um, but he doesn't have like the freaky. He's got a seven foot wingspan. That's like really really good, but he's not um like he's not quite on the like level of like if he if he had a seven three wingspan, you know, he probably would have been a top five or six pick in the draft. So just sort of in terms of his physical potential and, and his prospect thing, he's sort of more in like the B plus physical freak than the than the A tier physical freak. But yeah, yeah. I, I I love the he's the exact sort of. I mean, who do you like who who uh, who do you like more? in terms of this archetype like jeremy sohan or scotty barnes i mean last season i there would have been more of more of an argument for scotty barnes um you know and, and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier in the season just like scotty barnes hasn't hasn't developed in the ways that a lot of people would have liked to see this season he's yeah. kind of had a bit of a step back offensively but i mean scotty barnes is, is still super versatile can still do a lot of things with the ball in his hands still has crazy upside as a as a defensive player like i don't know they're they were kind of similar in some ways coming out of college scotty barnes did way more as a playmaker and had the ball way more but the way that he's developing scotty barnes seems to be a little bit more developing into uh like settling into more of like a big having more of a more of a game where he's like centered around uh being around the rim being in the paint and sohan is still a open book in terms of yeah you know whether, <laughs> whether he'll become an awesome three-point shooter or do stuff off the dribble guy or not no one is no NBA archetype is more despised than the second year player who has not taken a leap. You'll take every rookie above them because they still could take that leap. They haven't failed in that specific regard yet. So, but yeah, I, I'm just making that comparison because they are, they had that kind of similar like size and skill set where it's like, we, we don't really know what their scoring package is going to be in the NBA, but we see the size and the motor and the, and the playmaking as being a very like enticing bunch of stuff we ready to talk about palo yet i guess we can get to palo now um (laughs) yeah neither of us have revealed our number one right but it's no secret who it is it's (laughs) pretty much everyone's rookie of the year pick palo bancaro yeah Um, i love i love one of us to take like no palo's not on my list i don't not that good (laughs) (laughs) it's just i i would love to put sohan or dyson daniels above palo i i unabashedly enjoy watching those players more and they kind of like fit my my taste in nba players more so than palo does but like it's just palo is the only guy in this draft class so far um who has shown like just clear future number one scoring option also i mean if if playmaking is more your thing like palo's no slouch in that regard either really good passer really willing passer like um uh, does is like yeah very quick to hit shooters and find cutters like likes to pass and is getting better at it as as the year goes on 
he's been improving as a passer really dramatically over the past two years, both um in college and in the NBA. Like like his high school highlights, oh, yeah. not the high school highlights are like useful, but I never imagined him being a passer. Like I pictured like, oh, you're you're thicker Mike Beasley. That was like you're this overwhelming like six nine dude. And you're even bigger and more athletic than Mike Beasley was, but you're going to be this like face up scorer and that's kind of it. And then we'll see how you develop like defensively. But then halfway through his college season, all of a sudden he was kind of just like just throwing a lot more passes and completely changing the sort of like three dimensionality of his, of his game a lot more. And, that, and that's continued pretty noticeably in the NBA. Have we ever seen a player like Paolo before? Like the six foot 10, thick, strong ball handling score playmaker hybrid yeah i was trying to think like as a rookie right right out of college um or even like someone in the prime of their career who like got there like i just think paulo's at that size he is it's just a i can't think of a a really good call the only one i can think of is amari stoudemire um but amari was never a good playmaker yeah i mean he didn't really have that role on the suns he did have that really brief period on the Knicks where he yeah, was healthy right before for like his injury. two and a half months yeah. where they did just kind of give him the ball and let him go to work. And like, it's been what, 10, 11 years since that point. But like, I can mm-hmm. remember Amari like having a bit of playmaking ability when given the opportunity. Um, oh, I've got, I've got another one now that you, which is like oddly the same sad story. It was like, um, like Detroit Blake Griffin right before he was like basically oh, yeah. done where he just sort of like, yeah, he, I mean, he was already this big injury problem problem but he it's like his injuries were taking apart his game at the same time his game was still growing and he just had this one year's like oh you are like a pretty good shooter a really good playmaking hub out of the high post and still like a bit of a rim attacker and you just kind of like you really have the whole offensive hub package but like your legs and back are literally falling apart as you realize that and this was like amari finally kind of figured out how to make like this basic set of reads that he never could do in phoenix and then the basketball gods giveth they taketh away yeah, I, I really hope that's not the case with Paolo. But <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Like well, he's figured it out a little bit earlier in his <laughs> career, at least. <laughs> there haven't been a lot of guys who are six foot ten who have this kind of frame, right? Where they they really do have the size and strength to play down low. They have all these other skills as well, you know. Yeah, uh, whether it's passing, he's got ball handling, he's got like a pull up game. You know, he, he's like so quick and strong at the same time that you like really cannot prevent him from getting to the rim. And he's drawing a lot of free throws Yeah, uh, for a rookie, rookie big, you know, rookie forward, we should say, but um, kind of a unique player. Yeah, definitely. He's uh, so it's, it's been in, like it's it's been interesting to watch him play this year because he has so, he has so much freedom in Orlando like he's he's allowed to do whatever he wants and it's been so you really get a sense of like where his where his like sort of court awareness is at because you get to see him in all these different situations um he still Mm -hmm. plays like a like a like a like a high school bully like he treats NBA guards and small wing like they're children that he wants to eat and maybe I say that because I do think that Paolo Boncaro looks like an ogre. Like he looks like a, like an animated main character ogre. But he doesn't, on the flip side, he doesn't really adjust that well against bigger NBA bodies. Like I was watching the Magic play the Wizards not that long ago. And like Daniel Gafford blocked him like three or four times. And it just looked like, and Paolo didn't look like he cared. Like he'd, he'd draw the help defender. So he's got Gafford on him. Um, and he would just sort of like, 
kind of take this half-hearted layup attempt like he was guarded by a like he's just been he just looked like oh you've been guarded by six four guys your whole life and it and it doesn't your mind doesn't really click in and adapt when you're guarded by a six ten guy because you haven't seen as many of them with your he's been huge for so long right like this isn't like a late bloomer yeah. like like paolo in grade 10 was just like oh my god um so he plays he's got this nice calmness to his game but sometimes it reads as a little bit careless like why did you just toss up this like weak little finger roll right in daniel gafford's face like the only thing daniel gafford does is like swat away shots like this like i'm sure you've like watched film and read the scouting report so there's like a we get to see we get like in orlando we get to see all of paolo's gifts but also all his warts and there is just like a, a lack of response he's not like what I said earlier about just rookies being bad still applies to Paolo. Like if you put Paolo on a, on a, like a championship contender this year, obviously that would be a huge talent injection at a key position for a lot of contenders, but it's also like, well, are you going to let him like take all these joke pull up mid range shots that he's like really bad at hitting? And are you going to let him like drive into rim protectors and like toss up little layups and get blocked? Like he, he's really inefficient. Like he's in like a, like at that volume, like he's in like the, in terms of relative true shooting percentage, he's at like three, like negative 3.7, which is like 25th percentile in the league. Um, yeah. Takes a ton of mid range pull-ups, doesn't hit the hit, hit them that well. Um, but I will say that his um, his shooting percentages have been rising as the season has gone on. Like there's there's clear improvements yeah. happening with him. And it's also worth saying he's not playing with a whole lot of uh, great playmakers on the Magic roster. Um, yeah. With the injuries that they've had in the backcourt, you know, it, it's pretty much been Cole Anthony being his main running mate. And uh, a yeah, lot and he of was injured for the early for part of the season. Um, but he shot, he's shooting under 30% from three to start the year, and he's been closer to league average yeah. over his last like. He's gotten, he's gotten above that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the assist numbers are, are coming up as the season goes on as well. And the other thing is that like the Orlando Magic are more and more becoming a real team. Like they, yeah. they won six games in a row at one point. They had three really ugly losses recently, but um, before beating OKC the other night. I, I I watched a lot of, I watched most of that game. And I mean, Orlando is not a team that you can, Orlando will, they will mess you up if you take them lightly. Just And, and they're also a team that, they're a funny team because they're not very good overall. There's lots of holes, but in certain matchups, I watched them play, I watched Orlando play the Raptors, for example. And like, I think I, I watched them play like a, a back-to-back against Orlando or like a home-and-home series. And it was just like, yeah, a team like this that doesn't have bigs, like, Orlando is just too big. Like it's like they're they're just winning all sorts of extra possession battles because like they they're putting out like Mo Bamba's coming off the bench and playing like and Bull Bulls out there the rest of the time and Wendell Carter Jr. and Franz Wagner and and Paolo are playing the two and the three kind of thing. So it's like sometimes they just pose a big problem that teams don't have the the tools to address kind of thing so and uh yeah I mean Paolo and Franz are kind of co number ones on that roster in terms of like usage and, and, and shot creation and they're playing pretty well together so anyways future is really bright for Paolo he's yeah with with, with with Chet out and no one else looking like a for sure level star it's just it's definitely Paolo and everyone else Paolo and Jalen Williams <laughs> those are those are the two <laughs> <laughs> isn't it wait don't you have Paolo and Dyson Daniels yeah Dyson Daniels is my favorite guard not sure yeah I, I don't know if Dyson Daniels will be a star level player but high high level starter yeah probably yeah i think so too um, who is your who is some or who is in your top three i'm, I'm missing one player dyson daniels sohan and paolo oh sohan right there we go 
yeah. And I'm I've got yeah. Paolo, Jalen Williams, and Dyson Daniels. I will say, um, maybe this is the Blazers bias talking, but I do think Shadon Sharp has star potential. Yeah. Um, but he's yeah, just of course one he of those guys where the ceiling is the roof and the basement is the floor. Like, I mean, he's 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 already better than that, but like he's just he's so much of an unknown at this point, you know. Totally. Like, uh, and also maybe to just to wrap things up. Um, we should just, if there's any other rookies, you just wanted to like give a super honorable, honorable mention to, you know, at least guys out there who are still flashing something of interest. Is there anyone that particular catches your eye? I can, I can start us off. I think like, um, well, one Marjan Bochamp, like earlier I listed Christian Brown as a, as a wing on a contender that could make a difference, but there's a, there's a, yeah. another chance that that could be Marjan Bochamp in, um, in Milwaukee. And he has been flirting with getting in that rotation. It's not an every night thing. And it's usually when someone's injured, but he has, uh, he's looked all right. And is like, like, you know, looks capable of, um, of, of hitting shots and playing defense already. So I think that's, he deserves a mention. Yeah. I, yeah, to be completely honest, I, I didn't have anyone else on my list. There's a couple of guys that um, I could see eventually becoming something. Like I do think um, probably the main one is like David Roddy. Um, yeah. He's about played Roddy. Yeah. on the Grizzlies just because they've needed someone to fill that role. Yeah. Um, the, the Grizzlies are funny because they wings, will, but they'll empower a lot of in Memphis, you will be empowered to do a bunch of stuff, and that's great for David Roddy and and lots of people love David the Body Roddy. Um, but the results yeah. have not been good. Like he's not he's not playing well. Like he's not no. like uh he's shooting it and the shots aren't going in. And he had some he's got some holes on defense as well. Uh, Christian Coloco uh started yeah. off the year pretty hot and definitely showed some pretty interesting rim protection abilities and and still like looks a lot like kind of tougher and more nba ready than i thought he'd be so he's, oh, he's someone to I keep do, an eye on i i do have i do have one uh one final shout out if you will yeah um i i gotta say mark williams looks like a future oh great i was gonna mention him too they're finally playing him a little bit because uh nick richards got I hurt know. yeah um, steve clifford finally allowed him allowed him yeah to play. I mean, I mean we'll a... see if it keeps up. Like, like I'm surprised that he wasn't starting, and and Mason Plumlee is actually playing really well. But I, I I just don't get it. Like, let's like let's start the Mark Williams era. He looked good. He looked good when he played. So hopefully he's he's huge and he's got light feet and he um you know seems to have like pretty soft hands around the rim. Um, totally. I I liked him out of Duke just as like a you know decent future starting big or. Um, really good backup and yeah you know so far in the nba he's he's looked passable so you know that's great for for a team that like the hornets just haven't had a good big man in a long time no they have not is there anybody from this draft class who hasn't really played at all that you were high on going in the draft that like uh you still think you're still holding a little bit of stock guys i haven't given up on yeah um, yeah i mean uh is it josh minot or josh minot I think it's Minot. However you pronounce his name. But uh, man, maybe that's oh, just the, maybe that's just the Canadian in me. Uh, often sometimes um, I go to the States and find traces of French and I'm always like, uh, like people, if, if people are called people that have the last name LeBlanc in the States, I was always shocked to discover yeah. that it's LeBlanc. It's not LeBlanc. Like LeBlanc that, is how LeBlanc you pronounce and... it. Like it means, yeah, right. I mean, like, <laughs> but it's like LeBlanc or LeBlanc in, in the States. In Vermont, there's a lot of this. There's a lot of like, oh, like yeah. and then obviously, well, like in Louisiana, they actually you know speak french and stuff like that so that's a little bit different but it's it's, it's funny when you find like old french colonial stuff so maybe it's josh Minot, but maybe it's josh minot 
I don't, we'd have to ask him. Um, yeah, he hasn't played a lot, obviously. I just, he is just kind of like a crazy freak athlete. If he develops, I, I don't have a lot of Josh Minot thoughts. I just, I thought he was exciting. Yeah. His level of athleticism at his size. Um, the one guy I will say as a Pac-12 basketball enjoyer, Dalen Terry hasn't played On a lot. On my list. Hasn't been that great when he's played, but he was just such an intriguing player in college. I'm excited to see him get the chance just because he's just, he's another like kind of Swiss army knife guy offensively. Like, you know, he's, a, he's kind of a big long wing. He gave me Penny Hardaway vibes. Like yeah, uh, a lot of versatility with the ball in his hands, um, you know, gets the rim finds open teammates. I'm holding my Dale and Terry stock because he ended up in the worst situation. He just went to a team sure. that was full of like a whole bunch of guards who need the ball in their hands. And it was just like, how is Dale and Terry going to, you know, pop off on this roster sort of thing. So yeah. still going to hold my stock there. Uh, another one I have is uh, EJ Liddell. I was really high on him in the draft. He was a huge follower on draft night and then got injured. Yeah. He's in, he ended up in new Orleans, I think. And we he won't. on a two way. Yeah. Sometimes. And, and yeah, on a two way and out for the season with an injury basically. So. As when something like that happens, it's kind of like, oh, are you even going to get a shot? Like that, that kind of thing. Being a, like falling into the second round and then getting hurt right away is that's the, it doesn't get much worse than that for how you start a career. Um, yeah, and it's kind of a shame because he specifically went back to college to improve his draft stock because he was he was a good scorer at Ohio State, um, but he scored a lot of the post and he's kind of like an undersized four, and you know just did not have an NBA level game, um, and he was he kind of went back to a state in, in order to pr- improve both his uh, shooting ability and his kind of like just lateral movement ability on defense. Um, so he could actually guard perimeter players and he did yeah. both those things pretty effectively yeah. and then um, just really fell in the draft regardless. So yeah, because he definitely could have come out a year before and probably at least been a second round pick. And that ended up happening, happening anyway. Yeah, yeah, it was strange. I I had him as like a borderline lottery pick. I I I really wanted the Wolves to take him. Like I just I just think like defensively, there's a really interesting player in there. But you know, so I'll hold on to my stock for a little while longer, and hopefully, um, he gets a shot. Still rooting for you, EJ. Definitely right, the most so think... intriguing Ohio State prospect this, <laughs> this year. Not I'm not a Malachi Branham guy. No, me neither. But he just he somehow managed to sneak in at the end and get and get a mention uh, from yeah. me. I was low on him in the draft, and I'm, I'm I'm low on him as a as an NBA player as well. I had him like I had him as a second round pick. Like did not understand that one at all. But yeah, yeah, I think that wraps up an exhaustive uh, uh, rookie discussion. I think we got as much of our rookie thoughts out as we could. Um, yep. And we'll be back soon to just take a little temperature check on the contenders because we're, you know, now getting into a really fun part of the NBA season where we actually have big sample size and everyone can make reasonable and can make reasonable observations about teams. So I'm um, looking forward to that. Yep. Expect contenders next podcast. And then after that, maybe, uh, maybe our first uh, mock draft ish sort of thing. All right, we'll get, we'll, we're going to get even younger soon. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, right, everyone stay you. young out there. And we at the Underhand Free Throw Podcast just want to remind you all that ball is life. We'll see you next time.